Hi, welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We're very glad you're joining us today and we hope this message inspires you, builds your faith and encourages you in the things of God. Enjoy the message. Amen. I hope you brought your Bibles with you. We're going to we're going to delve right into the Word. Um, I believe the Lord's put something in my heart and uh, something that, that um, I had never seen or really thought about, um, but I want to share it with you tonight because I think it has great implications for us as believers. I think it can encourage us and it can strengthen our faith and, um, and bless us. So this is something to edify and something to increase your faith with tonight. Um, the title is Welcome to the Father's House, and I'm going to pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word. Hallelujah. Where would we be without your word? Where would we be without its inspiration and, and, and the way it edifies us and the way that it builds our faith? We would be lost. We would like discernment. We would like joy. We would like peace. We would be wondering. Lord, uh, depending, uh, you know, on our own thoughts. But thankfully, we have a sure word of prophecy. Hallelujah. We've got something from you this, this evening that can speak into our lives and can encourage us. So tonight, Lord, as we talk about your house, as we talk about the place where you meet with God and men, I pray that our hearts would be set on fire. I pray our minds would be encouraged. Our hearts would be encouraged. And Father, that you would uh, continue to edify and build your house to your word as you always do. We give it over to you now. We open our hearts. We open our lives to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look tonight at something that Jesus said about himself. And Jesus said a lot of different, made a lot of different claims, said a lot of things about himself. But when you look at this particular verse, it's something that is, is often passed over um, and goes mostly unexplored. Matter of fact, um, as I was thinking about this and doing research, because I, I like to do research, I like to read, um, you know, and, and, and as I'm doing my own study in the Word, uh, when you look for commentaries and you look for sermons and you look for books written about this aspect of Christ, uh, there's not a whole lot that's written about it. It's, it's interesting. And uh, I'm not going there tonight because I feel like it's some, some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of mystery or something like that. I just, I want to explore it because I think there's something in it for all of us. I think there's something in this that God wants us to hear. Matter of fact, you'll, you'll see why in just a moment, uh, the way that God highlighted this truth uh, was a very radical, he highlighted in a very radical way uh, for us to kind of pay attention. And it can get lost in the story if we're not careful. So I want to look at something tonight uh, that Christ said about himself and it alluded about himself throughout his ministry. I want to look at this thought tonight uh, as we entitled the message, Welcome to the Father's House. I want to look at this thought tonight as Jesus as the final temple the final meeting place where men meet with God. That's what I want to look at tonight. 
And I want to look at what Jesus said about this because that's what's most important, amen? Not what the preacher says, not what the teacher said, but what does Jesus say? Uh, that's really what takes the preeminence. We're going to look at John chapter 2. Uh, so you can, you can turn there in verse 13 and then verse 22 all the way to 22 and then Matthew 21 uh, to Matthew 12, uh, 21, 12 to Matthew 21, 14. I'm just going to read this to you. This is just after the wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus takes his disciples and they head to Jerusalem and they go there for the Passover. And uh, these are these when you when you look at John chapter two, uh, the beginning of this, the beginning of this chapter and the end of it, it begins one way and ends a completely different way. You get two very contrasting views of Christ when you look at John chapter two uh, as a whole, as a as as a as as, as a story uh, in line with what the author is trying to convey. But in John chapter 2, we read this about Christ. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. Wow, Jesus made a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. This is radical. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Now in the Greek, it's, it's where we get the word emporium from. It's a marketplace. So this is a marketplace, the, the outer court where Jesus is going into, I'll give you kind of a kind of a, a rundown of what's happening. There was the outer court for the Gentiles, there were, and then there was the women's court, and then there was the court of Israel, and then you had the court for priests. So there's four courts. He's on the outskirts, moving inward towards the temple, and there's this huge, uh, this huge portico, this huge court where the Gentiles, those who were lost, could come into this court. If they had questions about God, it was meant for those seeking who God was. It was meant for a place, a space carved out for unbelievers that they could come with their questions. There were supposed to be teachers there, rabbis, priests that could explain the way of salvation through Yahweh, through Jehovah. But instead, it has turned into a marketplace. And there are hundreds of oxen, hundreds if not thousands of oxen and sheep. And, and it's filled with bird cages. It's, it's filled with tables and it's just loud and noisy and there's hustle and there's bustle and there's exchange. Verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for, the, for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And this is what we're going to look at tonight. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years. This was Herod's temple to build this temple. And you will, will you raise it up in three days? But he wasn't speak, he was speaking about the temple of his body. So he wasn't speaking about the building that they were, that was surrounding. He was speaking about his body being the temple of God. 
When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And Jesus went into the temple of God, Matthew 21, 12, into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But I say unto you that one in Matthew 12, 6, sorry, Matthew 12, 6, Jesus says this. But I say unto you that one greater than the temple is here. Revelation 21, 22, we'll throw this in for a reference. And I saw no, speaking of heaven, I saw no temple therein for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Uh, this is an amazing claim for Christ, for the Jewish nation that had huge implications for the Jews, that Jesus is the temple, that Jesus is now the temple of God, the meeting place between God and man, that everything that was there and all of its splendor and all of its glory and all of its religiosity and all of its marketplace and hustle and bustle was, was obsolete, that it was coming to an end. And there was now this new revelation. So I want to look at this tonight. So we have here two very important events in Jesus' ministry and life. And this is why I'm telling you that I believe God wants to highlight it. This is why I believe I, I, I want us to look at it because God highlights it himself. Twice in Jesus' ministry, one at the beginning of his ministry, this is his first real public display in Jerusalem outside of being 12 years old and being in the temple and amazing everyone. He shows up around 30 years of age. He's been baptized in Jordan. He's went to the wilderness. He's been at the wedding. And now he appears on the scene. And he comes with this zeal and this anger in the first stage of his ministry. And, and right after the wedding of Canaan Galilee. And the second, found in Matthew was three years later, just a few days before his death. So one at the beginning and one at the end. So you've got God saying something very important. God is trying to establish something in the hearts and minds of his people. That there is something here to look at. This is what is called the cleansing of the temple. Uh, you know, if you were to, to look this up. But these two instances of Christ entering the temple in Jerusalem and angrily driving out those that were using the temple as a means to make money and merchandising, this meeting place between man and God, they were interfering with the worship of God's people. They were pushing out the seeking Gentiles from their court in the temple. And both these events bookend his ministry on earth. One at the beginning and one at the end. One when he's just starting out and one as he's about to consummate his, his work on earth. So this, these bookend his life. So these demonstrations of Christ, these angry outbursts of zeal is something that God the Father wants to convey very strongly and clearly to us. And as I mentioned, these two instances are three years apart. But they're almost identical, identical in content and in nature. 
So Jesus comes into what is known as the outer court, as I described that to you, the court of the Gentiles. And they're in this place that was reserved for seeking unbelievers. There's this massive market that is set up. Hundreds of thousands of Jews were pouring in at this time of Passover. They, you know, Jerusalem at this time would, would swell to over a million people. These festivals were, were massive. They, they, they were well attended, almost like uh, if you, the, the closest thing would be the Hajj for the Muslims as they journey to Mecca into their, their, their yearly pilgrimage. There were a million People camped in and around. The hills would be lined with tents as people would come. And there would be this need for massive sacrificial animals. And so inside the temple, you've got this market that's set up. And, and there, there's these, these people that are using the temple as a means to make money and merchandising the meeting place between man and God, interfering with the worship of God's people and pushing out the seeking Gentiles. So, so you see this as the Jews were coming in, they, they, they would need this place. They would need uh, these sacrifices. And so as, as these hundreds of thousands of Jews poured into this temple complex from around the world to offer sin offerings and peace offerings, there was for this benefit, so said, a, a system that was set up to provide a sacrificial animal for purchase. Of course, at a profit. And this was sanctioned and operated by the priesthood. Jews from all over the world, with all of their different types of money, they would need then to exchange their large sums of money into temple currencies to spend on the sacrifices. So that's what's going on. The money changers are there. You know, it's like if you travel anywhere that has a different currency, what's the first thing you do? You go to the exchange counter because you can't spend a euro in America. And you can't spend an American dollar in France or Ireland. You have to go to an exchange counter. And the only money that was accepted there was temple money or Hebrew money. And so they had to bring all of their Roman money and all of their different types of money and have it exchanged there. And the account in Matthew uh, talks about this. And, 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 and in John, they hone in on the money changers and those that sold doves. Now, it's interesting in, the, in why Jesus goes after the people that are particularly selling the doves because the doves were the sacrifice of the poor. And there would have been massive amounts of poor people coming to the temple to offer. And so the, the doves were being doubled in price and the, the poor were getting it in the neck. So you had people that were already under pressure. They're coming to the house of God. They're, they're expecting to meet with God. And in this place, they exchanged their money at about an 8 to 12% increase on their money. So there was that much, whatever they had to pay. And then they would go and they would have to buy these doves that were, that were double the price. And so you can see this, 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 in this place where the anger of Christ would be roiled as, as the poor are being exploited in his house, those that really are near and dear to God's heart. And, and at this time, the second temple became also, I was reading about this, a house of currency exchange. I didn't know this until I was reading this, but it became a house of currency and a, a currency exchange and change uh, and trade there. And so the, the monies from all over the Roman world were brought into the treasury in the temple and it became a house of trade for coins. 
So they were making money on the back of that. So the money would then be sold back again. So they were, there was this huge market that was happening. So the temple itself had become a place of business, a place of racketeering, highly organized criminal syndicate. If, if you were to, so it was criminal because they were, they were, they were taking the holy things of God and, and peddling them. So it was criminal in, in God's mind, and, and they were exploiting the worshipers for financial gain. This is what was happening. So you can see the fury in Christ's heart as he makes a whip and drives out these men and these animals out of the court. You can see the heart of God just roil with anger as those that had come with a sincere heart, very little means, were being exploited just to come in and meet with their God. You can see that. And, and this syndicate was broken for at least two days. We know that. That the day, the first time that Jesus went and the last time they went, this syndicate was disrupted. And you can see why Jesus became enemy number one in the eyes of the leaders because he was, he was not good for business. He was bad for business. He was returning people to a true worship of God. He was bringing people into a place where they were experiencing the presence of God. And it was, it was at this time, it was pandemonium as, as the anger of God burned in Christ's heart uh, uh, for these honest seekers. I mean, you could imagine as he opened up the gates and he opened and he threw over, there were doves and pigeons everywhere and cattle running everywhere and men running for their lives and, and chains falling everywhere and tables turning over. It was pandemonium, right? That's what was going on. And, and here in this place where men and women were to find God, they were being exploited and fleeced. And such is the commentary of man's heart. This is really a commentary on, on, on man's heart. To say, take something that is so pure, that is so right, so good, and pervert it, and twist it, and market it for their own gain. And this is why Jesus went after the Pharisees. He said, you love money more than you do God. You love your mammon more than you do God. Money is more important to you. Power and stature is more important to you than honest seeking worshipers. It's more important to you. And, and it's, a, it's a commentary on the human condition that, that, that these people would market and, and twist this wonderful thing called the temple as a means to secure their own power base and line their own pockets, and it made him sick. And folks, I want to tell you, it still makes him sick. God's heart has a change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for every person that would peddle and profit off of God and take advantage of the poor, God's heart still burns for his house. God starts, God's heart still burns for the poor. God's heart resists that. It is so, it is such an offense to the heart of God to, to profiteer off of promises, to profiteer off of his presence. It's so anathema to him, right? It made him sick, it infuriated him. That these honest seekers had to walk through this gauntlet of money-hungry vultures to meet with God and to pray to him in his house. So he drove them out. 
man, Jesus, you know, one minute he's enjoying, you know, he's, he's at a wedding, enjoying everything, you know, and sometimes he's blessing children. I love this about him because he's a man for all seasons. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a daring leader. He's like a lion, but he's also, he, he's so tenderhearted and he, and he cares for the poor and for children. I love him. He's an inspiration, but here he's just, he, he, he stands and he comes as a lion into his house. And, and you see this, this, this moving and driving out. So Jesus interrupts their business as usual and demonstrated to everyone watching what the heart of God was for his house. This house is a, is a house of prayer for all people. That's what he said. This is a place where men meet with God and women meet with God. This has nothing to do with, with what's in your pockets and what you have to offer God. This is everything to do with your heart. This has to do with your heart and your worship to him. This is what Jesus is saying. A place where broken men and women can come and find God. To find a God who cares and who listens, that heals and that restores. As, as soon as Jesus drives the money changers out, the Bible says that the power of God comes. And it's amazing when you see that, Matthew says that the, the blind and the lame come to him and he starts healing them. It's amazing what happens. You know, when, 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 when Jesus comes on the scene and starts to sort things out, the power of God is released. The anointing of God, the presence of God. And, and there's so much that can be said about this. There, there's so much that can be said. There's so much... It, uh, there, you know, we could talk about God's heart for his house. We could talk about reformation. We could talk about those things. But, but there's something here that we can miss. And I believe this is the bigger picture, actually. I believe this is what God doesn't want us to miss. Because it's tucked away in something that Christ says here. I've already alluded to it. But it becomes very obvious when you see it in John's account of his first exchange with, with Christ and the, the temple money changers. Before we look at these verses in context... I want to say up front, this was not about Jesus going in, was not about another Jewish reformation and revival. Jesus didn't come to, to set things in order. He didn't come to reinstitute and make sure everybody was, was involved in the feast and, and, and all of that. He wasn't about that. This was not about another reformation, right? Jesus didn't come for another reformation. He didn't come for another revival. Jesus was not intent in his ministry or in any part of it in trying to bring about national revival and religious fervency for his father's house, the temple. That was not what his ministry was about. He, he, he wasn't another Josiah. He wasn't another Elijah. He wasn't another Hezekiah. He wasn't another Nehemiah. He wasn't another reformer. He wasn't coming to reform their system of worship. That was about reformation. This is about replacement. Jesus didn't come to reform. He came to replace. Thank God. He didn't come to, 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 to get everybody to act right and then, you know, him disappear and everybody to go back to the way they were in need of restoration again. Jesus knew this temple was heading for a rubble pile. He knew the system was doomed to fail. And it wasn't because the law was bad. The Bible's clear about that, but it was precisely why he attacked the money changers and the dove sellers. You see, this wasn't the first time the Jews were in this place. This had happened in a previous temple. 
This had happened at a previous time, and this was on repeat again in the second temple. This was about the, Jesus' desire to address the crookedness of men's heart. No matter how many sacrifices, no matter how many vows, no matter how much money was exchanged, prayers were prayed, the heart of man could not reach God in the house. So this wasn't about reforming the house because that house, as good as it was, wasn't good enough. That system as, as, as a means of grace wasn't, as Pastor Nick talked about in the Hebrews, it was only there as a temporary means of grace to people. It was not meant to, to, to be the end goal, the end thing. This was the end thing. This, what Jesus is about to share with us is God's intention, God's heart. There would always be a barrier. He could drive out those thieves one day and they'd be back again the very next. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus comes in, drives them out, he goes away, and they come right back. So you see it. His first year of ministry, you think that he reformed something? No, they're back there three years later. And, and you see this here. You see that God himself in his son is physically throwing them out of the temple. So with, even with God's physical power and physical strength, he couldn't get rid of this. He couldn't change men's hearts. He couldn't do the work in his physical strength by restraining them or, or, or dealing with them harshly. He could not drive out what was going on in their hearts. Do you understand that? This was not a failed attempt at re reformation. Jesus knew that this system that was there in front of him was a dried, crusty wineskin, unable to bring life because of the bent nature of the priests, the teachers, and everyone there. He knew a better temple had to come. A house that people could have access to. A house that, was, that you could come in unhindered. A place where they could meet with God regardless of their own abilities. Regardless of their wealth. Regardless of their stature. Regardless of their personal holiness. Their failures or their successes or their weaknesses. He knew that that house had to be replaced because people weren't meeting with God. They were unable. It wasn't that God wasn't willing. It was that man wasn't able. And so there had to be a house built for broken men and women. And this wonderful. There had to be something that God would have to institute, a house of worship, a house where men could meet with God, where anyone could come. Anyone that is broken, anyone that, that needs God could find him in this house. You see, the glory of God was so far out of reach. It was so far, it was so impossible for anyone to reach. It was shrouded in sacrifices, priesthood, veils, altars, promises, and vows. And John says, Jesus knew full well what was in people's hearts. So he knew exactly what was going on. He knew that a building wasn't the answer. Another reformation wasn't the answer. More steps, more promises, more sacrifices, more offerings, Obediences would never secure what God wanted to give. And this takes us to the heart of the message. This exchange house of obedience for blessing had to go because that's exactly what it was. What was happening there in the market was really what the temple was kind of really built on. That you come with your obedience and you leave with a blessing. You come with, your, with, with all of your holiness 
and, and all that you can give and all of your strength and all of your power and you can secure the blessings of God that are outlined when, when this temple was dedicated. You do this, this, and this, I'll defeat your enemies. I'll bless your crops. I'll bless the fruit of your loins. You keep this covenant, you do everything in it, and I'll do this thing. So this exchange house had to go because of man's inability. I hope you get that. And these two cleansings, these two episodes in the life of Christ were signs. They were pictures ultimately of, of, of Christ, of what he would be to us and what he would become to the world. You see, there needed to be a new house, not built on the principle of men offering to God their best, but built on the principle of him giving out of grace and out of kindness. There needed to be a new house that was a house built that didn't need constant reformation or revival or cleansing and correction. There needed to be a sure house built that those who seek and can come without money without anything to offer and find the Father. And this is what Isaiah says, ho, come those without money, without anything, come and buy. Come and purchase with your faith, just coming and believing that God is good. Coming and believing you will receive. But how is that? How is this new house going to be built? Because God says, I don't dwell in temples made with hands. That's what God says. How can you build me a house? I, I, I live in the heavens. I, the, the world, the universe isn't big enough to contain me. How can you build me a house? How can you build me a, a house made with hands? Uh, because there's not a house that you can build that I can be satisfied with, that won't be tainted with sin, that won't need to be cleansing. You see, under the law, when you, when you, when you study under the law, the laborers, when they built that original ten, temple, it had to be cleansed. Because the laborers were, were, were defiled. The house itself had to be cleansed. It, it had to go through purification by blood. It had to go through a process of blood sprinkling and, and sanctifying. And then it could, and then after it had been sanctified once, it had, it, it could be tainted all over again, depending on who was king or who was priest or, 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 or who allowed something into the house. It could be defiled. So there was this constant need of reformation. There was this constant need for the defilement to be cleansed over and over. This house where God would meet with man was always in need of repair, the temple, always, and a reformation. And you see in Ezekiel 1, if you, if you study, we're almost there, but in Ezekiel 1, it talks about the first temple where they had so defiled it they had so allowed idolatry into the house that Ezekiel 1 describes the glory of God lifting off of that house and allowing it to be destroyed. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that even if he came every day and cleansed that temple court, there would be corrupting influences in the Father's house. So Jesus, just like he did with the fig tree, condemns the whole thing. So this is a sign. This is something that God has said. This whole system is a den of thieves. It will always revert back to this. It's meant to be a house where men can receive something from heaven, but instead it will forever be a place where men exploit each other and try to exploit God. That's what the house will always be. Because it's made with hands. It's made with human hands. 
But Jesus uses this scene in John to tell us what really is in his heart. Look at this, and we'll close here shortly. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Verse 18 in John 2, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, destroy this temple. And in three days, I'm going to raise it up. And these words come back at Christ's trial before Pilate. After three years, these guys remembered what Jesus said. Because he didn't say it the second, he said it the first time. They actually used this in a witness against him. Jesus said something so controversial, so riveting, yet you can just pass right over. Destroy this temple. What? You're the temple? This is blasphemy. You're the temple? You're the meeting house of God? You're the place that God has chosen to dwell and put his glory? You're the place that God wants to give his grace and his provision to? You're the place where God wants to demonstrate his love towards humanity? You're the place where all of his holiness dwells? This is what Jesus is saying. Destroy this temple. And, and, and it's easy to pass over that. It's easy to kind of, to, to not, but this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, my father has built a new temple and it's here before you. And the same corrupting influences that, that are in operation here that are in this marketplace will one day destroy this body. They will, they will kill this temple, but I'm gonna raise it up in three days. The corrupting influences that I am, that I am talking about, these, these powers are going to destroy this temple, this meeting place, this house of God. And it is truly the house of God. That, that physical body, that, that person of Christ is truly the tabernacle of God. And this is amazing that God has come down to tabernacle with humanity. That God has come down and it's not in mortar and stones and brass and gold and pomp and circumstances. It's in a carpenter from Galilee. It's in someone that the Bible says when you see him, there's nothing in him that you would desire him. It's put in this plain Jane Jewish man about 30 years, 33 years of age at this time. When you look at him, there's nothing to, 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 much to talk about. But God has chosen him to be the house that he meets with men with. He is the father's house. He's the place where God has come to tabernacle. Isn't this wonderful? And he says, you're going you're gonna to tear this tabernacle apart. You're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna crucify it. You're going to beat it. You're going to do everything you can to destroy this meeting house that God has built. But I'm going to tell you something. The power of sin at its worst can never and will never be able to destroy the, God, the house that God has built. It will never be able to change this reality that I have come in the flesh, and I have come seeking and saving. And this place that you see before you is now becoming obsolete because I am now the temple. I'm now this place where God meets with man. And I think it's powerful. Jesus is ultimately saying, I am the true meeting house of God. I'm replacing all that you see in front of you. 
you, your system, your corruption will all be obsolete. I'm taking the power out of your hands. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, I can drive you out and you'll be back there tomorrow, but ultimately I'm taking the power away from you. I'm going to take the powers that, that the enemy of the air is using to, to, to keep people away from God. I'm going to strip him of his power, and I'm going to take the power back because I'm going to be the house of God, and you will not be able to stop me from welcoming people into the Father's house. You will not stand in my way. I won't have to come to that temple and cleanse it because I am that temple. I am that place, and none of this will have any place in me. This is beautiful. You can't taint it. You can't corrupt it. It will never need reformation. It will never need cleansing. It will never be corrupted with merchandising, castigating the weak, the poor. All of those are be, will be welcomed. The outsider, the Gentiles, those that are broken, the prostitutes, the drunks, the lepers, they can all come to this house because there's room in this house for them. This is wonderful. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus said, I am now the only place in the world where men and women can meet with God. This is why we must maintain the exclusivity of Christ. That he is not just another teacher, but he is the house of God. And this is why the Antichrist spirit will deny that Jesus came in the flesh. Because he is the meeting place. He is the tabernacle. I am the culmination of everything you are. That you are blind, uh, sorry, that you are blindly following in this temple, the meeting house of God. I'm the house of prayer for all nations. I welcome the Gentiles and the Jews. This isn't a house that you can come with your promises and your sacrifices or your abilities and your holiness. All of that is done away with. I don't want it. It has no place here. All I want is faith. Isn't this wonderful? Hallelujah. This is the new house. You don't see an altar there because it's been, it's been satisfied in the cross. You don't see a priest there. He's not only the temple, but he's the priesthood in the temple. Isn't this wonderful? You don't see the, the animals there because he alone is the sacrifice. So he comes in fulfillment of everything that is before them and says, the real house of God is here. I've come to meet with man. I've come to meet with hum humanity. All I want is for those that hunger and thirst for God to come to the Father's house in faith. That all that the Father has, all that the Father is, is invested in me. I will give you what the law couldn't give you. I will give you what, was, what you were barred from, from the beginning. Freely, I will give the glory of God to you. I will give you the grace. I will give you the spirit. I will give you the life. God will no longer be behind a veil. You'll never need another priest, from all, for I am all of that to you and for you. This will not be a house of taking, but a house of giving. A flow of life that your failure won't stop, your sin can't extinguish, because my Father built this house. It is raised incorruptible, and it is raised undefiable, indefiable. You can never defile this house with your failure. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? You can't defile this temple. 
It doesn't need to be reformed. Used to, you come in as a sinner, you touch something. If you touch somebody dead and you go and touch something, you're, you've defiled everything. It's got to be cleansed and served. No, you bring, you, you, you've gone through, you've fallen, you've done whatever. You come into this house, you come to this house, and, and instead of you defiling it, it, I don't want to use the word defiles, but it imparts life to you. It gives something to you. This is the difference. And you see here in this house, the power of his glory is greater than the power of the corrupting power of your flesh. And in the past, you see the Israelites' sin corrupted the temple. But here, everyone in this house has life imparted to them. And Ezekiel sees this. If you open up Ezekiel, we don't have the time to go there. But Ezekiel sees a house that God says, the priests, the kings will no longer defile this house. They'll no longer defile it. It'll be out of reach. Nobody will be able to attain it. And out of this house, there's going to be a life. Out of this house, there's going to be grace. This is the Father's house. This is the place where we meet with God. And this is why the prophet can say the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. Isn't that wonderful? Because it's a finished work. It's a finished house. It's the place where we meet. And Jesus is that latter house, this meeting place for you and I. Sacrifice is all paid. We can enjoy the glory of God. We can enjoy the blessings. We can enjoy the promises. We can enjoy what God has for us as his children in this meeting place. This is the house that is built for all people. A place to connect, a place to belong. Isn't that wonderful? This is, this, this is, when you read this, it's revolutionary because this blows everything that they're, they're the whole concept that you, that now, you know, Pastor Nick alluded to it, this whole idea that, that God wants to reform Jewish traditions. He wants to reform us going back under these things. They were all fulfilled in him, all the feasts. All of those were fulfilled in him, and it's so beautiful to see that now we come to a house. Now we come to a place that's open. There's no racism here, amen? It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, barbarian, Greek. It doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. As you come to the Father's house, you are welcomed because this is the now the meeting place of God. And as saints, as I close here, it's important that we grasp. It's important that you understand this. I was reading in Second Chronicles just before I got up here. I don't have time to go into it. But God says, whenever you get into difficulty. Now, this is the promise of the first house. And remember, the Bible says the glory of the latter will be greater than the first. He says, if, you ever, if any of my children are ever overrun by their enemies, if they're, if they're going through famine, if they're going through difficulty, if, they're, if sin has overtaken them, he says, if you, will, if you will pray to this house, and I think this is the right interpretation of that, if you will pray to this house, I'll hear you. And this is what he says. He closes out. I think it's around verse 18 or 19. He says, for my heart is in this house. My heart is towards this house. Now, if that was true of mortar and stone, how much more of the sun? That we can come to him wherever we are. It's no longer in a, a physical earth and location. He can meet us anywhere we are. 
He's the meeting place of God with man. And if you want to meet with God, you have to come to Christ. If you're listening online or if you're here tonight, he is the meeting place. He is the temple. I want to encourage you tonight, saints of God. That God deals with us completely different. Completely different when we come to his house. And, and notice, you know, we, we talk about this, is the, but this isn't the house of God. This is a building that we rent as his temple, as his church. But we come to a living house. We come to the Father's house where God has poured his glory into his son. And he pours out to us his life, life everlasting. Stand with me tonight as you think about that. Think about the implications in your life. That you don't, you're not coming to him based on promises. You're not coming to him based on offerings. You're not coming to him based on any of those things. And this is just a reminder and a refresher, but it's a different way of looking at it. The glory of the latter house. Hallelujah. Folks, some of us, when we come to Christ, we think we won't come because we think we're going to defile him. We think that we're going to infect him. We don't come into church because we think we're going to bring in that and infect everybody. Folks, that is not the testimony of this house. We have an advocate. We have a place to turn to. And the life in that overtakes the death in us. It's a giving house. Hallelujah. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for the temple, the meeting place. You've come to meet with us. You've come to tabernacle in Christ. And Father, now we have this living way. Now we have a house that you built that we can come and worship in, that we can come in just as we are in all of our weakness and all of our frailties. You don't want our promises you don't want our strength. You want our faith. You want us to come in and believe, Lord, I'm trusting in the house that you've built. I'm trusting in what you've done. And I'm asking in this house, Lord, in this place that you would strengthen me, in this place I would meet with you, in this place my family would know you, as we come into your house, as we come welcomed into the Father's house, embraced in the Son. I pray, Father, tonight that someone's faith would be built, someone's heart would be touched. Lives would be ministered to, Lord, to see that we come to a, a living house, the very meeting place of God, welcomed, not in the outer court, but into your very heart. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. God bless you tonight. Thank you, church. I hope you're encouraged. If you listen online, I hope you're encouraged. Thank God that we're welcome in the Father's house. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you tonight. It's good to be with you. God bless you. Hallelujah. Thanks for tuning in with us today. I hope you were blessed. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us, info at corkchurch.com. Or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thanks for tuning in. See you next time. God bless.